remember I just like looked in the mirror. I promised myself, you're never going back. Meet Alana Molstein, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and best-selling author of You Can Drop It. She's also the creator of the 2B Mindset weight loss program. Alana has lost over 100 pounds and kept it off using the program that she created. She also helped thousands of other people lose weight through her private practice in Beverly Hills and at a clinic at UCLA. She sits on the prestigious executive leadership team for the American Heart Association and has been lecturing for the Bruin Health Improvement Program at UCLA since 2013. Ilana is also a contributing writer for publications such as Self and the Journal of Obesity. She has been featured in the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, Reader's Digest, Shape, Health, and Women's Health. Ilana lives in Los Angeles with her husband, Noah, and three children, Olivia, Julian, and Gideon, her newborn baby. I was very much looking forward to this episode with Alana for many reasons, one of which is that I, I never really cared that much about you know what I ate. And obviously part of me knew that it was important. You know, you are what you eat. There's all of these ideas that point to the importance of eating right for your body and for your mind too, and for your soul even. So, but I just never really tapped into that. I ate what I wanted, um, ate a lot of junk food. And in any case, I, I was excited because I was excited to hear about you know, your approach and how it, how it's similar to hers, how it's different from hers. How did you feel about this conversation? I was very excited about reaching out to Alana because I follow her and I, I read her book and, you know, weight loss can be a scary word for many. And, you know, she really makes it, um, welcoming, inviting and, uh, real and not scary at all. She had a weight loss journey with many ups and downs and many challenges. She was able to utilize those challenges and channel them into an opportunity to improve herself, improve her life, and then to help thousands of people around the world improve their lives too. And this is something that's very, um, very important to remember is that if you have a challenge that you're facing, you never know where that challenge will lead you and why it's there. Enjoy everybody. Hi, I'm Rista. And I'm Ida. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We're entrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both so inspired by each other's life experiences. It was then and there that we decided to create this platform because we believe in the power of self-awareness and connection through sharing our experiences. Our goal is to bring you insights, wisdom from the people who inspire us, and interviews with some of our world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and everyday heroes. We invite you to join us as we create positive change in mind, body, and soul from the inside out. Hi, Alana. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How's out for your baby and enjoy him in good health. Thank you. Thank you. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and share what inspired your weight loss? Absolutely. So, um... In kind of a somewhat of a sum up, I was morbidly obese as a kid. As early as eight years old, my doctor was telling me that I was off the charts. I was over the 100th percentile for weight for my height and age and mandated to my parents that they send me to weight loss camp, which is like also known as fat camp. So I went to weight loss camp at eight years old. I got weighed in. I got measured. I lost 30 pounds, but then I went right back to school went right back into my unhealthy habits, gained all the way back and more. So I kind of turned into this hamster wheel, vicious cycle of gaining 50 pounds every school year, going to camp every summer and losing 30, gaining 50 in school, losing 30 in camp. And, you know, over time, 20 pounds a year really adds up year after year. And I had a very chaotic, unstable upbringing. My parents you know, got divorced when I was young, you know, dated a lot of people, got remarried, divorced those people, <laughs> got remarried. So it's been a lot of a big roller coaster, lots of moves, lots of changes. And um, I think food just, I was turning to it for all the wrong reasons, emotional support, definitely not for any nutritional value um, whatsoever. So it was much more a source of comfort uh, in a very uncomforting time. Um, you know, despite not realizing at the time, I just thought it's because my whole family's overweight. We love food too much. 
and I eat too much of it um, and not like all the other things that you see. And uh, and that is a big part. You know, genes play a role. Your yeah. environment plays a role. Your support system plays a role, of course. And then, if, you know, your relationship with food plays a huge role. And mine was, you know, not not exceptional. So uh, my highest weight, I was 215 pounds. I was five feet, two inches tall. And I was wearing a size 20. And um, you couldn't really get size 20 in normal clothes. Um, by normal clothes, I mean like in stores, like in literally any retail store. So I had to get stuff like custom made at a tailor, like literally go downtown, pick up fabric, and then go to a tailor and have them make me some sort of skirt so I could you know, attend a Shabbat or, you know, synagogue situation and something that looked somewhat like what my friends were wearing. Yeah. My mom used to do that for me too. I can relate to some of your journey and that's why I was excited about interviewing you because um, I also share a lot of your approach. And so I'm very excited about sharing this with our listeners. Just wanted to say that. <laughs> Shout yeah, out. no, I'm happy to hear that because I, you know, one of the top questions I get asked every day is how to deal with kids for weight loss. You know, um, I think the statistic for teenage obesity is 20%. I'm not joking. One in five kids in the, in teenagers in the U.S. defined as maybe 13 to 19 is um, overweight or obese. But that's pretty wild. And so a huge question I get often is how to talk to my teenager about weight loss, and hopefully that will be my next endeavor, my next project, because that's my that's my plan. And um, it's a tricky one, and I do believe that my mom, I do believe that my mom doing those things for me is huge part of me staying positive in my weight loss journey. Um, so you know, she made me feel beautiful at every size in whatever way she could. So I'm really grateful to that because obviously she wanted me to know that being overweight was, you know, not healthy, but she kind of like had the doctors deliver that to me. Um, and she also tried to hide her unhealthy habits as best as possible because she didn't want me to see them. Although everyone should know, kids see everything. And I definitely saw all of it, but you know, she wanted me to feel beautiful as much as possible at every size. So so thankfully we made uh, that work, but I definitely uh, went back to weight loss camp at that stage. I was going into high school. I was at my highest weight. My doctor was like, it's so out of control. Um, so I went to Weight Watchers in March and maybe lost like five pounds in five months, like yeah, know, four months or something. Not and you're probably doing that at the same time. I also tried the Weight Watchers. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I think it's like... You could be on the red plan, the blue plan, the orange plan. So, um, which is interesting because as a volume meter, um, I like to eat lots uh, at a time typically in order to feel full and satisfied. It, um, whatever system they had going on, I was manipulating as best as I possibly could. So, um, so then that summer going into high school, I was like, enough is enough, Alana. You've been in this hamster wheel. You've blamed everything but changing yourself your own ways i blame my parents i blamed the weight loss camp for not being sustainable enough i blamed my friends as being enablers and having too small of metal like too fast metabolisms and that they can eat so many more jelly beans we eat the same amount of jelly beans why do i look like this why do they look like that um so i really did blame everything um before i just decided put your hands on the steering wheel you got to take control and that summer I did for the first time I was like I got to get out of the 200s I remember it was like really exciting when in camp we had our weekly weigh-in I saw I was in like the 199 category I call it wonderland um and then I left that summer around 185 and I remember I just like looked in the mirror I promised myself you're never going back you are 5'2 you're 13 you don't have to be in the 200s and you're going to high school you're going to want to go to summer camp with your friends. I started having the FOMO, even though I built friendships at camp and excitement there. It was like enough. Like I had been there for like six summers and it was just, you know, I, I was overeating in the winter because I kept relying on the summer diet, right? Which I think people still do with their, whatever their quick fixes have become. So um, I decided I have to change my mindset. I have to make this work. I had it. So I started to study what is working at camp that is completely self-destructing during the school year. And the first thing was the scale. 
So I have a very positive relationship with the scale since I've done incredible amounts of research on the scale. The scale is an incredible tool for those seeking weight loss, weight loss. Not the tons of research that exists in the Journal of Clinical Nutrition and the Journal of Obesity and a, a journal article I wrote and so forth. Um, it's, it's with the scale. It's interesting. A lot of the research is not just based on it's helpful for weight loss. It's actually stronger in being able to sustain weight loss. So yes, it's helpful for losing weight and staying accountable along the weight loss journey. But if you study the National Weight Control Registry of thousands of Americans who've lost weight and have kept it off for years, which I'm part of, it's an amazing registry where we pull data from of like what actually works for people in our society. Um, today, the scale is just that common denominator that just hopping on, keep, like you have that accountability to keep it off. So I did that without that research at the point, just with personal perspective. But I saw that, that that's a helpful tool. I saw that Weight Watchers and it helped me not gain there. And my only goal was to not gain my weight back. That was my only thing I cared about at that point. So, um, so I just started going on the scale just to see, like, are you staying in the 180s? Are you staying in the 180s and not going up? And then I started piecing together, what am I doing? that's keeping me in the 180s. And, and I just found it was more and more being creative. I'm like known as the food hacker. Um, I'm really good at creating like wild recipes. I love food. I love lots of food. So I just started becoming super creative in the kitchen as like a 14 year old. I my mom was not a cook. Um, we had lots of takeout food. So I started kind of ordering different and using my little hacks and recipes like my egg white pizza that everyone loves now or like my Wonder Whip or just, you know, I would take broccoli and put butter and salt on it and eat that in front of the TV instead of popcorn in front of the TV um, and things like that. And I really started to build a system. I started losing a lot of weight. I lost slowly, slowly and gradually like seven pounds every school year. Then in the summers, I would be able to go to summer camp with my friends. I still always kind of connected summer with a really good weight loss time. So I was like really good in the summers, like just more careful, more planned ahead for my summer trips with my friends and so forth. Um, but through high school, I ended up going from uh, like 185 to maybe 165, like 20 pounds in the next four years. So nice, like five pounds a year weight loss. And then I went and then I realized... Everyone was asking me how I was doing it. My friend's mom, you know, my family members are like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I just kind of was talking to them, telling them what was working. And I realized I loved talking about it. I loved sharing every tip, every recipe, every hack. Every time my friends would come over and say, let's order pizza, I would take out like a block of tofu, a cubit, put it in a pan, add marinara sauce and cheese. And we all started eating it. We brought hearts of palms to school we added balsamic vinegar to it we all started eating that instead of like junky snacks you know we just started getting creative all together there was a salad place in t-neck sammy salad we were like obsessed with our sammy salad so we kind of all did it you know just ate well and healthier versus just you know gorging on junk food i think i also had friends who didn't have a lot of weight to lose but just had healthier moms healthier like palates and so it made it nice but you know there's still plenty of pizza stores that I had to navigate and plenty of drinking and parties I had to navigate so I just did that and um, then I decided I love sharing this advice I want to make I want to be super credible in the space I want to make it a career I saw being a registered dietitian was really like paramount for having that form of education and the most opportunities for exploring the space so I buckled down I took college really seriously I partied plenty I was in a sorority but I did organic chemistry biochemistry biology intense nutrition science and food science classes and all that good stuff became an RD um, and then through that process lost more weight and um, I, you know I and then I got my master's I started teaching a class at UCLA on weight loss and then I've seen private clients realizing that my method was working so well not just for me but for like thousands of others or hundreds of others. And I really wanted to scale it. So that's when I partnered with Beachbody and we um, turned my program into a video-based program that's now available to like, I think three, 
three or four million people on their platform, which is great. And um, wrote a book, and we're, we're here today. And now I have lots of babies. He's so cute. (laughs) What's so inspiring to me about what you just shared is, well, first of all, it sounds like a lot happened in your teen years, you know, when you're 13, 14 years old, like that's when you started to shift and transition from like, not a great experience in camp, not feeling like you're behind the wheel to taking responsibility and accountability. And from there, like just changing your ways and eventually turning your struggle into your strength. And that's a theme that comes up so much for us in our interviews where what, what began as a struggle, obviously we can't connect the dots at 14, but then later on we look back and we say, had we not been through this, I would not be here today. And you are right. a, a celebrated, one of the most sought after weight loss experts with a practice and a thriving practice, I should say, in Beverly Hills. So, I mean, I'd love to know, like, how does it feel? And what would you say to your... 14 year old self. Yeah, well, I totally agree. Um, you know, you hear that from every person. And so the, from my book, um, so my book is called, you can drop it. It's on Amazon. Um, thank goodness. It's a bestseller. I really recommend everyone get it. Cause it's like $15 and Absolutely. all my secrets. Yeah. And there's an audio version. So people say they like to listen to the audio in their car. And we'll include um, a link in our, so, in our podcast notes for yeah. the book as well. So, um, I like after I wrote it and I was recording the audio book, I think it was like after I read it again and, and um, listened to it, I really realized it's really about taking yourself from being a problem stater to a problem solver. I realized that that's what I was doing. I right. even made a few social posts about it, but like the problem stating, I was all problem stating. I was so good at stating my problems, and everyone listening to this should really take all the voices that go on in their head, put it down on paper under problem state. Like, what are all the problems you can mention? So my problems were I had way too much fat all over my body. Like, that's how I called myself. I was just, like, grabbing it, squeezing it, wanting to move it. I had no clothes that fit me. I loved food too much. Everyone told me um, I had to lose weight. My great-grandmother, my great aunt had a uh, hearing aid. She never knew how loud she was speaking. She would call me fat in front of like hundreds of cousins without realizing and screaming it at the top of her life. I had people judging me. I had uh, like, I felt like I was huffing and puffing, walking upstairs. I had chub rub like you couldn't believe. I would come back from a Shabbos walk with friends on Saturday afternoon and I would need to baby powder my thighs. I had so many things that I could just state constantly. I had a slow metabolism. I had, I just like, I could just could state my problems over. My doctor tells me that my blood sugar is high. What does that even mean? So I just was a problem stater. And I was like, enough, you have to become a problem solver. Okay. So you like to eat a lot. What can you eat a lot of that will help you? Okay. So your great aunt, like screams, avoid her as best as you can. Um, which comes full circle, everyone should know, because I ended up naming my daughter after her, wow. which is a wild thing because I remember as a kid saying, I don't hate anyone and I hate her. Like I really, she really was my biggest bully in life. But again, now being at a problem solver stage, I real and like so beyond it, I really see it. She just wanted me to be happy. And like she lived till I at, at least ninety seven. I believe she lived till ninety eight. Wow. Holocaust survivor, it, um, like in like incredible amount of great grandchildren. Grandchildren have come from her, and she did so much to Daka, and she like was so big on Beaker Holen, and she didn't know how loud she was bullying me. And I think her delivery wasn't there. But listen, that was Eastern European. It's tell it like it is and get it together. And I saw so much later in life that she's actually a woman that has to be totally admired. She had money and she would still take the New York City public bus everywhere, like literally at 95. She was simple. She ate simply. She ate lots of salad. She ate lots of fish. Like she just kept herself really tight, really trim, really proper. And was really refined. And I was 
not. <laughs> like I was sluggish and sloppy and heavy and bad looking. Like as much as I always thought I was like popular and happy, like she probably saw how much the whole lifestyle was weighing on me um, and holding me back from being stronger. And so, um, yeah, I now look back with, you know, like I kind of um, needed that. That's, that's a really beautiful lesson. And that you know that later on you recognize her strength, you know her her giving side and her her fine side, and and that she really loved you at the end of the day. I think that's yeah a really important lesson for all of us if, to hear. If you don't hit rock bottom, like everyone always asks me, like how do I get motivated? How do I get motivated? Unless you feel really uncomfortable, it's really hard because I find it's easy to lose weight. Like people have a very easy time starting diets or starting my QB mindset program if they are already uncomfortable. If you're so uncomfortable being overweight, you feel it in your clothes, you feel it in your interest in being intimate with your spouse, you feel it in your energy and ability to chase after kids or even walk up the stairs, and you recognize you're so uncomfortable, it's very easy to sign up for even like the most horrible sounding diet where you're only eating grapefruit because you're just trading one discomfort for another and that's actually not that hard to do and you see that that's why the diet why people buy into diets so easily because it's easy to trade one discomfort for another it's harder if people are like you know my clothes are stretchy now everywhere has clothes, like good clothes up to size 30 my doctors overweight themselves so they don't really say much to me my husband loves me at every size. I have clients who tell me it's almost like they wish their husband did it. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's very good that your husband is like that. But unfortunately, like, I've, from my experience, seeing people really be able to make massive changes, it usually does come from a point of some level of like, I had to get the seatbelt expander on the airplane. You know, like, just uh, unfortunately, like that breaking point that like you realize enough is enough. So that's why usually, I have to give her credit. Right. It usually takes rock bottom. Yeah. Everyone's it, bottom is relative. Because yeah. it is uncomfortable to go into weight loss mode. So you, it, because you're changing so many things at one time. Your, what your comfort is, what your habit is, what you're used to. So inevitably, like even just using the bathroom more, because I make people drink so much water. So. You know, it, it does take being uncomfortable where you are to be able to realize, like, there's no, what is it? There's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. The one thing that I'm kind of grappling with is there's this notion of you can't really change. Well, okay, a prerequisite for change is acceptance. Like, I have to accept myself before I want to change. When working with your clients, is this something, like, how do you approach this? Like, teaching them to, or maybe guiding them to help them accept themselves. And at the same time, yeah, listen, you know? yeah, because there's the body positivity movement has so much positive in it, right? Like the I because if I listen, I didn't love my body at all, um, in that state, but I had to love it and care about it enough to uh, to treat it well, to 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 want to make it better. So there's definitely truth in that is that like you can't you can't make the change unless you know you're worth it enough to make the change. Right. Right. And people, right. I've had clients where I'm like, gotta reach that point of self love. And when I say the word love, self love, they it makes them very uncomfortable. Like that's a big ask for a lot of people who are who are feel far from it. And so I do think um, you know, it's like self-like enough when you're feeling so down it's like that you have to have self-like enough to care to remind yourself you care in those situations where you could either have a bunch of cookies late at night before bed or make yourself a tea or read a book or just go to sleep earlier type of thing and to go to bed so you need to remember that I do care I do have potential like this is worth my time I am worth it um that has to be there um but if you think it's like you just keep entering into more ways to stay comfortable and kind of pretend like you're more comfortable than you really are, that's challenging because again, like it does take, I find that that's why it's easy for people to start is because 
you tend to be trading one discomfort for other discomforts. And I try to make my program as comfortable as possible. You're like, you're actually adding things throughout the day. Like you're focused on more water, more veggies, more protein. Like you're never focused on taking away. It's all positive. I never use the word no. Um, I know that one of your mottos for weight loss is water first and veggies most. Yeah. And I also saw a chart that you made and I love this. I, I actually use it sometimes with my clients is, um, want more? Sure. And you want say, more? Sure. Yeah. yeah want more? Sure. And I always say that that's my favorite thing. I after love having, it. after creating my children, my more sure model, I think is my, my best creation yeah. of life. I just want to tell everybody what it is. After you've eaten your, your food, if you want more, you go to the water first. If you, if you still feel like you want more, then go to the vegetables. If you still feel like you want more, then go to the protein. If you still feel like you want more, then go to the carbs. I thought that was a great... Um, you know what's wild is I created that concept in literally counseling people and counseling my clients. Yeah, that's like when literally the, that's walking when creativity in, comes. Yeah. And literally just like, okay, you went to a barbecue, you got there. The first thing you had was chips. Okay. And then I read, and then you had chips, and then you had a beer, and then you had a burger, and then the baby carrots no longer looks good to you. Oh, I wonder why. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're now you're drunk, and you have like every salty, sugary carb that. And then I read a study that that came in that if you if your first bite is a carb, you'll go back from our carb. Hold on, this is interesting. The study showed up uh, maybe eight or nine years ago. I read this. If your first bite is a vegetable, you'll go back for more vegetables. If your first bite is a protein, you'll go back for more protein. And if you're, here's the caveat. If your first bite is a carb, you will not only go back for more carbs, like pizza, pasta, uh, potatoes, that is a different thing. You will go, you will eat more overall, that it could actually expand your appetite. Hence, and then there was a connection to why, like Italian restaurants give you bread basket at the table. It doesn't make sense. Why would a Mexican restaurant give you nachos? Why would a Chinese restaurant give you fried wontons? Why would they give you free food before they want you to order and spend money on food? Like, if these foods would actually fill you up, theoretically, you would then order less and pay pay them less. But aha, they do it because they know that it actually will lead you to buying more carbs, like pastas, which might sound like they're only 18 compared to the 26 fish, but the markup is like, to make it is 18 cents. So they actually get a lot more money from you ordering the pastas and the rices. And um, and then you're ordering more. You're more likely to order an extra appetizer or dessert. Right. Well, so the, I, question, the question yeah. I have for you here is, um, well, one of the hardest things for people who don't like water or vegetables to implement in their lives, this, this module of yours would be hard. Like, what are some of your tips for drinking water and eating vegetables to somehow yeah. find some love for that? Totally. Um, I'll start with um, I'll start with water. Um, is everyone thinks they don't like water, um, even though like our bodies are mostly made up of it. There is a different taste to water. Some people like Fiji. Some people like Arrowhead. Some people yeah, like Cold Spring. Yeah. I can yeah. only eat Fiji. <laughs> you know what? I'm big on people spending money on water, being a snob about the water they like, installing a good filtration system in their house. Like the more money you spend in consideration you put on water, you'll find that you'll end up saving so much less money on mindless snacks that you're buying and don't realize. Um, So get like drink, make sure it's good water. Um, And then, and tea counts. And I love tea and like adding fruit infusing or there's some good water enhancers. Um, but one of the best ways to start drinking water is to make it the first. So water first, first thing in the morning, 16 ounces of water before you have your morning coffee. And that for people is usually like really hard. Okay. Let it be hard. You're building a new habit. Again, there's no growth in the comfort zone and there's no comfort in the growth zone. And when you start first water first and you have to like drink it in order to earn that coffee, I put caffeine in my first water in the morning, (laughs) FYI, which helps. Um, but, uh, like that really helps start building the habit and then you start craving it you realize like oh wow i do wake up thirsty so that's a great way to just start there um and then when it comes to veggies when people say they don't like them it's just because they're not used to eating them the more veggies you eat the more veggies you crave and 
veggies or not, bland, boiled broccoli with like a mustard packet that you were, you know, given on a, your last diet or cleanse. It's eggplant pizzas. It's zoodle lasagna. It's amazing stir fries. It's like pad thai using shirataki noodles or spaghetti squash noodles or zucchini noodles or kelp noodles or something like that. It's like um, you can make like a cheesy tomato noodle soup and throw, you know, spiralized veggies in that. It could be, I guess you hear where my head's at, but turnip fries. I mean, there's so many yummy, delicious ways to eat veggies. Um, I have this great recipe for like bacon and Brussels sprouts. I use like the bacon, the Jack's bacon. Unbelievable. People are wild about it. I have a recipe in my book, um, bacon and cabbage date salad. It will blow your mind. Again, I use um, the bacon, yeah. the Jack's bacon. Yeah. It's literally like everyone gobbles that thing up. Let's check um, it out. It's sweet. It's salty. It's savory. It's like a staple. If you want, if you're entertaining guests, like a Shabbos meal, people go, they always need that recipe when they leave. Um, so we're talking yummy. We're not getting rid of flavor. We're not getting rid of like a little butter to make you want to down that broccoli, which is great for your kids too. Um, you know, everyone's fine to put ketchup and butter on and margarine and sugar, you know, in all their favorite recipes and like, and then leaves their like the veggies looking bland and boring. So, um, when you start to bring them love and you make them your first bite, that you really start to go for them more and more and more, especially when you feel your digestion improving, your energy improving, your immunity improving, your skin improving, because again, your body loves them. You mentioned Shabbat a few times. Um, it's essentially like Thanksgiving dinner, you know, every single week. So twice, two Thanksgiving dinners, two Thanksgiving, right? Exactly. So it's a struggle, especially for religious women, because we're cooking and we're eating and there's a lot of food and challah. So what are some tips that you would give for maintaining weight at a Shabbat meal, which is essentially it's every weekend? Any tips? Yes. And it goes completely against the, my more sure model because your first bite is clearly a carbohydrate. Right. 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 So it completely goes against it. So the first thing you have to do is I know, I know, and I've actually grown to know and understand this more and more because Los Angeles is loving these trends, and I personally am loving the trends of having challah bakes. And our community has been doing them nonstop. We have like a couple of like sick people, or you know, like in the community, and it's the most beautiful, beautiful. Like I literally cry at every single one. I've been to like five challah bakes in the past five months, and I cry every single time. They are. I want to host one every month, and like to shit up talk i'm like really think it's the most beautiful tradition of all time um so i understand i'm i'm better now at understanding like all the meaning that goes into kala and every ingredient and i'm like fascinated i didn't realize all the that the yeast is supposed to raise our dough like the bank account like there's symbolism to every single part which i think is beautiful um which is why i've had so many clients that when i tell them to reduce their kala they literally look at me like I'm taking away their baby blanket, like their comfort. And I get it. I get it because, you know, they daven over it. And when they make it, they're really pouring their heart and soul into it. And their mom made it. Like, so I get it. In my textbook, Becoming a Dietitian, I had a food science class where every chapter was a different food category. And there was a whole chapter, like a whole exam, a whole lab, like where I had to taste like a sourdough, a challah, a baguette. We had a whole thing on bread making, like a whole, like I had a final on bread. And it said challah bread in my textbook. It said the definition of challah bread is cake like bread. That was the definition of challah bread in a food science textbook. It's cake like bread. The other cake, the other breads don't have sugar. Right, it's like brioche. <laughs> they don't have, yeah. yeah, they don't have sugar. They don't have oil. But just just to say, I make a whole salt challah, and it has no oil. You can you can use sourdough. As you can. Oil. You yeah. totally totally can. Like you know, and so um, but that, that resonated a lot. That yeah. challah bread is cake like bread because you make that in your own house. How many times do you eat challah where you're at someone else's house or you're at a bar mitzvah or, you know, like. It's like even for people who make it, you end up eating 
other people, again, we're talking 104 times at the minimum, right? Like 52 weeks, <laughs> twice a week. Right. And then people need it from the then what would you say? What is your so, so when it comes to that, I really have to tell people it's a kazayas. That <laughs> is, it is a kazayas, which is what the size of an olive, like what's this thing? So, you know, how much do you need to fulfill the mitzvah? How much do you need to fulfill the mitzvah with knowing that we already eat more. Studies prove you already eat more if there's more than one person that you're eating with. Right. More if it's two. Mm-hmm more if it's three, more if it's four. After five or six, I think the study showed, we all end up eating at least 100% more, so double what you would eat. And then, I mean, think about our Shabbos meals where there's 20 because everyone's got their kit. Like, so you already know you're going to eat more. You already know all the cooking is more decadent. You already know you're sitting around the food longer. Um, remind yourself that do you really need to add something that's 100% like been proven over and over and over again. If you eat too much of it, it's going to lead you to eat even more. So like really have that information empower you to make the choice of how much more of a diet you really need to have in that situation. Um, I have some clients who will just have a whole wheat piece of matzah and cut that in half because they can't even go to even having a kazai. A lot of people do that. Yeah. A lot of people do it. And then a lot of people do that. And then they tell me they start overeating the matzah. One of my best tips is have a kazai or have one piece. But like whatever it is, plan for it, enjoy it, and I then yeah. one piece. Yeah, and then also consider it. The I I mean, this is like I could go into. I've worked with way too many Orthodox clients. This could be uh, this could um, I literally I'm no one focusing a lot on the challah, but that's just because that's one of the yeah. I would challenges. have to come out with literally an entire new nutrition program. So, um, but like thankfully I've evolved and I've had these challah bakes. Because I've been, this is really sad to admit, but I've been really tempted, I'm just going to be honest, I've been really tempted to submit an article to the Jewish Journal for the past 10 years of counseling clients, that I, which I never did, so no one bashed me for this, but I wanted to. It just, it's called F. Kala. Because, because I literally, because I literally, I'm sorry to say, I literally have had clients where it's like it's just it's their achilles heel like you said it's thanksgiving dinner so i have clients who like they can't resist their mom's pecan pie on thanksgiving if you're like that with challah and it's tripping you up 150 times a year and you need to lose weight for your blood sugar for your health for your energy for your positivity for your self-confidence for your ability to be your best self i just i can't taking it as like I feel too much for these clients to see such a object hurt them so I, I'm not coming out with that article yeah but I would say now. that's I think that's a, that's a that's a wider um concern like if you go to any restaurant they're serving you bread usually before you know before you get the food I feel like it's become such a staple in our I don't know if it's all over the world. I mean, right. like breaking bread, you know, kind of like having the bread right. first, but then that sets you on a path yeah, of like, you know. Well, I will say, so my next best tip on it is, um, okay, so one is you have to, if it's really delicious, which sometimes it is, like I, if it has chocolate chips in it, I just, <laughs> I'm, I can't resist. If it has like an incredible crumb topping or olives inside, like I'm into. Um, so, what I do in that situation where I want a whole piece, I want maybe a second piece, I just treat it like my carb at the meal. So I'm going to have that. I'm not going to have that and the kugel. I'm not going to have that and all the potatoes and all the potatoes and the chillin. I'm not going to have that and the cake for dessert. Or, you know, I do have those things, but I leave those to one bite because I know I have that. So that's another, that's a perspective I I like to share. So I have these muffin pans and I started making little hollow rolls inside of them so that you have like, you can see your portion. Um, I We started doing that with cookies also. When we bake cookies, I make little tiny balls so that you you feel, I guess, psychologically, like, it seems like you're, you feel like you're eating more, but really you're eating less. What? Yes. That, that's What's your take on that? It's so real. Love that you're doing small size cookies and, you know, having small, the best thing people can do if they make challah is to form small rolls. Like yeah. that is, that's because the best Otherwise you end up cutting the challah and cutting the challah. I always recommend that to make small rolls. 
Okay, and I have two more tips on follow-up. Yeah, let's this. see it. Okay. Go I really am. Hold the Jewish Journal and not call it F-Follow, but more like what's a Jewish follow That sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. One of the prints, yeah, I know, I know. It's really good. I never did it. Because like really you said, you love the challah bakes. You're crying at the challah bakes. you got to turn it into something positive. Yeah, I know, I know. I've never had so much anger against one thing. But I, I tell you, again, it, the anger comes from me seeing it before I knew the meaning of every ingredient. I, I understand there's the mitzvah, obviously, of the society. I understand it's a mitzvah to eat it, all that stuff. But, like, if you start to care so much about so many people and you yeah. see that it's one It's the biggest thing, challenge on the And region. I see it's so silly because there's it's so obvious that it's going to be your biggest challenge. Like if you, like based on research and the person's personal experience and my experience working with so many others, that I'm just like, ah, I just want to burn it all down. Because I'm okay, like, so, but instead you're not. Yeah, so but instead I'm not. Or simple so carbs, next, like have simple carbs. Would you say that's the biggest yeah, challenge yeah. in general? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. If, if it's your first bite and you go into it hungry, by the way, that, yeah. like how much harder is it when you go in hungry and it's wetting your appetite? Yeah. So how hungry are you after, like, especially a young tip dominating? Then, and your meal starting at one thirty, I go berserk. <laughs> I bring, like, the biggest bottle of water with me to the meal. I bring bags of vegetables to eat before the meal. Like, I, I can't, you can't, that's like, oh, it's so tough. So anyway, um, my next tip, the dip craze right. has come, come in way too strong. And we don't know what we're doing with it. Yes, Moroccans do it beautifully. They have 20 different salads and mafuchas and stuff like that. They, the ones that have healthy lifestyles that I've seen where the mom is like still, you know, like grading her own everything. They're not using challah, to, massive wedges of challah to use for all those dips. There's not tons of mayonnaise in these dips. The more, the, more dips, I, I don't the more challah you eat. <laughs> yes. The more dips, the more challah you eat. We have turned challah into a course with these dips. So how, and if you, and these dips are sugary, they're salty, they're fatty, they make you want to have more and more and more. And if you're using the challah as a, this cake-like bread, as a vehicle to eat them, literally pounds, pounds of the whole year. Like people don't realize that that challah course, and then people tell me that they have overweight kids. Their kids are becoming overweight. Their teenagers are becoming overweight. The husband's becoming overweight. It, I'm telling you, the challah course is completely unnecessary. So I love those dips. I live for those dips. And they look beautiful on the table and all that stuff. Everyone has like fancy little dip trays. They love to show off. I get it. Make a veggie tray with it. Those dips are great with celery sticks. They're great with carrot sticks. They add beautiful color to the table. So one thing, if you love those dips, everyone gets their slice of challah, remove the challah board from the table, and make sure that veggie tray is already on. So like Persian cucumbers, chop them up. I know everyone's like, I make already so much. How am I supposed to add a veggie tray? Take a bag of baby carrots, dump it out into a bowl, and put it on the table, or bring the bag to the table, <laughs> like your casual family like mine. So literally, that's huge. Um, and the next thing is, well, and also have a salad. If you're going to make it a course, add an Israeli salad to it. Like, make it a salad course. Um, because studies show that the cultures of the world and people who start with a salad actually do really great. So, yeah. you're too hungry. You're, we're all finished. We're all hungry. We're all overtired. We're all stressed. There's so many things we have to think about before getting to the Shabbos meal. When veggies are obvious and within reach, and there's something delicious to eat them with, especially, it'll be a great way to be able to start your meal with vegetables. So, that's a great that, tip. I also want to share something with you. Um, I actually use all those tips that you just shared, um, but something that I've added, it's a little bit revolutionary, and I know some people have started. Let me hear it. <laughs> um, for the religious community, and that is usually we have three courses. Yes. Um, plus, plus dessert. So after That's working. four. Yeah. Yeah, four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, after having, from my own struggles, through my own journey, and after having many 
clients who struggle with Shabbos, I was like, that's it. We are changing things. And I started doing um, that we cut the challah and then I bring out the soup and then we have the main course and the dessert. But that wasn't working so well either because everyone's eating the challah with the soup because they're kind of waiting for the next course. You know, I skipped the fish course and went straight to soup. So now I actually, we make kiddush, um, cut the challah and I bring the salad out right away and then bring the protein, the chicken, the meat. Um, and the side dishes. So we have the meat course right away, but I bring the salad out first. What about dips? And then I, I only do one or two dips. I used to do a lot of dips. I only do one or two, maybe like a really nice hummus and some avocado dip. Otherwise, it becomes too overwhelming with the challah. But this way, because the main course is out first, you're not focused yes. on the challah. And I have the salad and vegetables. And then if someone wants soup after that, I give the soup on Friday night. And then I do some dessert. I usually do a healthy treat, something small with some fruit. Love it. Yeah, we need to, uh, I mean, listen, again, if we go into all of Shabbos, this will be like a 10-hour journey. We should probably like charge for it. (laughs) And and you make a good PDF along with it and all that good stuff. Um, But yeah. And Shabbat day, you can do just the fish course. And, you know, if someone wants just, I used to do two huge courses. And now if I decide to make the challenge, the next course, I do that really small. But it's so much more work and it's so unnecessary. No one's happy at the end. Everyone's happy. I know. People literally leave my meals. Someone made fun of me about this. But people literally leave my meals always saying, I feel good. Like, I promise I hear that all the time. Like, people leave my Shabbat meals. They're like, I feel good. Like, it's a weird concept. Like, yeah. they, they look at me, like, confused. Like, why do I feel good leaving a Shabbat meal? I usually leave feeling really tired um, and, like, sluggish, you know, and stuck. Um, I get that constantly. Um, and then some of my friends are comedian, and he's like, that's their way of saying they're hungry. I'm like, no, it's not. There's so much food on the table all the time um you, again these are like you make great dishes like the bacon and date cabbage salad i'm telling you that's like a shabbat score um i have a honey mustard chicken salad recipe that i always make for shabbat i have these like spiced carrot recipes sweet and spiced carrot recipes that are a great side dish for shabbat um yeah like I, there's so many like we have to evolve past the deli roll we have to we, as a society, to be there for all these beautiful kids we want and have and raise and grandchildren that we want to see and meet and great-grandchildren we want to, like, you know, be able to walk down aisles. Like, there are certain things we have to, we have to evolve. Right? I think this Yeah, is and then, and the dip. Yeah, go ahead. I think this is a great conversation yeah. about Shabbat. It's so important because it's such a so strong for so many. So we really appreciate yeah. having this discussion with you. I just want to add that I have asked a rabbi about this because I know I know a lot of my clients are like, you have to have meat and fish at both meals. And he had said, if you have it, at least you have, as long as you have it over the whole Shabbat, like you've had it on Friday night and Shabbat day, you're good to go. That was what a rabbi that I trust had said to me. <laughs> right, Rifka, it's good you brought that up because some people do it uh, for religious reasons, like they do the, the fish with the meat at every meal. So it's good to know that it's not something that, you know, is, let's say, mandatory you know, and, you know, your conversation with the rabbi confirms that. And also I feel like people, like when you mentioned dips, like there's a whole course out of challah that we make, I, I like immediately felt like I'm not cutting out dips. I just simply can't do that. But then like, as we progressed in the conversation and then you started to mention veggies and adding things. So I started to see it as though, okay, well, if I can't stop eating dip and challah, let me add a a salad or let me add a couple healthier choices, maybe remove one dip at a time, like transition into healthier eating. So it doesn't have to be like zero to 60 where we're traumatized because there's no bread or no dips at the table, but it's kind of one step at a time. Yeah. I I love that. I call it crowding out. You crowd out, crowd out those dips that you're bringing in something new, which is the vegetables some more vegetables and salad instead of, it's not like you're getting rid of something. You're crowding that out and bringing something new in. But, um, totally. yeah, thanks for sharing. I'm so glad we had this discussion on that. So important. And I hope everybody yeah. takes as a good Oh, gosh, away. we could go on for hours. <laughs> I know, we could go on. <laughs> I, need, I really, I always say I have to do like an, an orthodox annex to my program uh-huh. because I have such specific things about every hog. 
like Rosh Hashanah. I have specific yes. things when it comes to the honey. Pesach, forget it. Like I could go off on my tips for Pesach for hours, hours. So I, there's a YouTube on some of my Passover best tips if people want it. Um, I feel like I have more since then, but those are some good ones. Um, I feel like that's, okay. that's a monster of one of a holiday. But yeah. I just want to say something, you know, Ida had said that, you, you know, you were scared about getting rid of some dips at first and then you start and you're, you're thinking of starting to bring some new salads in. I just want to say, I remember the first time when I decided to make this change and do this one course meal instead of all the courses. And my husband was a bit like, oh my gosh, the visitors are going to come. What are they going to think? But yes. after the fish course, he was a little bit like not very like nervous about these visitors coming. And they came and we went for the meal and they were also happy now. Yes. changes. You're scared. You think people aren't used to it, but they end up loving it. It's just something healthy and, it's, and you end up feeling lighter. Everyone's happy for it. And when it's just the family, so like when we have guests, we understand there's the people pleasing and all that stuff. But really, really keep in mind routine and what you do more of the time makes more of the impact. Hence, you know how I was gaining so much weight year after year, even though two months out of the year, I was losing 30 pounds, right? We think about what, what's happening the majority. I don't know about you guys, but like Friday night is typically just my family. Shabbos day is usually more entertaining. I know it's different for every family. But in those times where it's just your family, it's a great habit to make it like definitely simple, definitely simpler, definitely, you know, a salad, a great soup with everything in it. You know, once my kids have lots of chicken soup, they're dismissed from the table. Like, they don't have to sit around for my husband. You know, he always needs, like, you know, a good piece of flesh on Friday night. But, <laughs> you know, like, get, like, a lot of families, they've taught me, like, they just do Israeli salad, a really good chicken soup, like, some fruit for dinner. And it's so much easier on the mom. Everyone wins. Um, so find ways when it's just your family to keep it wonderful, filling, meaningful. but Again, like making it more about the Devartoras, more about being together and less about having 19 different items on the table. Yeah. Okay. Um, yes. Amazing. Thank you for this discussion. Uh, we, can you, uh, we have a little game we want to end off with. Um, for me. It's just kind of cute. So if you can finish the sentence for us mm-hmm. about you, something sure. I can always find in my pantry is. Um, canned hearts of palm. Nice. And in your fridge? Eggs. Okay, cool. Okay, an aha moment for me was when? Uh, I realized life doesn't get easier, you have to get stronger. My favorite quote is, or my parting message is? Uh, You only get one body. Don't settle for one that you don't feel comfortable in. Make it rock. Thank you. Thank you so much. Go back to your baby. Thank you. I think we put him a little to sleep and I need him to eat more ASAP. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you guys. I have endless amounts more. You can find me on TikTok, Nutrition Babe. I'm on Instagram, Alana Molstein RG. My book is like, you know, people say it really is an amazing resource that you can read and listen to more than even one time um, and my whole program is video based and you can find that at tobemindset.com thank you so much thank you and have a beautiful have a, Shabbat yes have a wonderful meaningful Shabbat that is so fulfilled with our Torahs and inspiration and family time and quality time and rest and restoration and relaxation um, as, as and like meaningful philo first and foremost as priority. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Thank, Thank you, you guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one.